I want to ask you to use your imagination for a minute. I picture a guy uh, has gone to the grocery store on a Wednesday morning. He comes around the corner into the breakfast aisle, and there's a woman with a cart, three very young kids in it, and she's standing before the pancake mix. And she's got one box in this hand and one in this hand, and then she's looking to the six other choices, and she has no idea what to do, and she's just frozen there. And so he decides to watch to see how this whole thing's gonna play out. Have you ever seen that before? It's like this. And he loves it. He's just watching. And then finally, the silence is broken when one of the small children, like a three-year-old in the cart, says, Mom, just doesn't matter. We're gonna load it up with chocolate chips anyway. Just pick one already. <laughs> and it's so funny but he wishes there was someone beside him that he could laugh with, or maybe someone that he could call and, and talk to about this very funny moment. He leaves the supermarket and he has his groceries. He's walking back home. He lives in the city. And as he's walking, he's thinking about the crossroads where he is in his life at this moment. Uh, he's between jobs. At least he hopes he's between them because he's lost the one behind him. And now he's trying to figure out what to do next. And as he's walking along, he's so torn up with this puzzle of what to do, he's talking out loud to himself, and it suddenly hits him, it would be so much better if I had someone else to talk this through with, someone who knew me, someone who could give me advice, someone who had a better insight to what I'm like than I even do, gets home, sets the groceries down, and he sits down in front of the computer, and there's an email from the most promising lead, and he opens it up, we're sorry. We've chosen to go in another direction. And it feels bad. It feels way worse than it should feel. And, and then he starts to cry. He's sitting in front of this computer screen and he's weeping and he feels like he felt in second grade when no one would pick him for their team. Like that time in high school when the girl said, it's not you, it's me. Like when he was really little and he would sit in his bedroom with the door closed while mom and dad fought and he was sure it was his fault. And now he's just weeping there and he's broken and he just wishes somebody would be there with him. Someone who could put their hand on his shoulder and look at him and say, hey, you're not a failure. It's okay. There's gonna be another opportunity. You're going to get through this. You see what he needs in the supermarket and on the way home and there when he sits in front of the computer. You see what he needs, don't you? He needs a true friend. I know someone was thinking, he needs a therapist if he's crying that hard about <laughs> not getting the job. That guy needs some psychotherapy. Y yes, maybe, but I have a friend who's a, a, a gifted therapist who tells me, you know, Christian, I would be out of a job if everybody had true friends. And that's what we all need. We need someone who we can laugh with when something really funny happens. We can tell them about that quirky thing that only the two of us really get. And we need someone we can walk down the sidewalk with when we're facing a decision that we can't make on our own, who knows us well enough to give us advice that only a friend can give. Uh, we need someone who can be there with us when we don't even understand the emotions that are happening in us. They're so uh, difficult to manage. We need someone who can be there. We need true friends. Now, some of you here have come in this morning and you have two or three friends and they're just the best friends ever. Are there some of you who have friends like that? Yeah, oh, I'm so glad. 
I'm serious. You should thank God for them. Would you say a prayer now? Thank God for them. It's right to thank God. It's one of God's greatest gifts. For being here this morning, those of you who have friends already, I pray that you will love your friends even better. Some of us here used to have somebody that we could call and talk to when something funny happened, but, but there's some event back there and now we can't anymore. It's hard. It's hard even to say. Some of you have that? Or maybe it's not a big deal back there, but you just lost touch and you've gone down the road so far now it would feel weird. Well, for being here this morning, I hope that either you'll reconnect with that person or you'll be able to let it go and have a new friendship because God wants us to have friends. Uh, maybe there are some here who don't have friends. Uh, life has just been what it has been for long enough that you're pretty much alone and for being here this morning, I hope that you will see some of the steps which you can take to friendship. And this is why I hope for this. Jesus taught that the greatest love was the love that is exchanged between true friends. And we've been thinking together about love and, and the truth about love. Uh, we, we've been doing that because Jesus taught that the most important thing is love. When he was asked what matters more than anything else in the law and the prophets, what's the most important thing? If you were here a few weeks ago, you, you, you heard this, that it's to love God and then to love others. And you need to start by loving yourself and then the people who are close to you, like your siblings. But this morning we'll see that Jesus actually prioritized over all the other kinds of love, the love which is exchanged between friends. And so it is a subject worthy of our best attention, not just because Jesus taught it, but because we all want friends, don't we? Real friends. And so I want you to look with me uh, at the place where Jesus especially addressed this subject. It's in the end of the Gospel of John. In chapter 15, uh, there is a, a long stretch of teaching that happens between Jesus and his disciples after they've had their last supper and before he dies on the cross. And in his teaching, uh, there at the very end, uh, are these words. This is from John chapter 15, verse 12. Here's what Jesus says uh, to, to his closest companions. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So I mean, think about this. It's at the very end, he spent years with these disciples, teaching them, guiding them, shaping them and really forming them for what he knew was the most important thing for them. And now at the very end, he has one last chance really to teach them. And he goes to the most important subject, the subject of love between people. And he doesn't just offer a suggestion or some good advice or some guidance. You see the word he uses there? This is my commandment. He takes it upon himself to tell them, here, trust me, this is the thing you must do. You should love one another as I have loved you. He goes on to expand in verse 13 when he says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In all the world, in all the love that's imaginable, nothing is greater than this, Jesus says. Nothing can compare to this love. It is the most important, it's the best love that any human being can experience in their life together with others. It is to lay one's life down for one's friends. Some of you know that after saying this, Jesus died. He literally died for his friends. But the phrase lay one's life down there in Greek, it does not mean to give your life to death. That might be a part of it. It's more like, to set down. 
or to put. It's very plain verb. It's like what you do when your friend has a project that they need to uh, finish, and then you lend them a tool, right? You put it down for them. If they're a good friend, they give it back to you after they're done. <laughs> but that's, that's what Jesus means here, to put yourself at the disposal of another person for what they need. That's the greatest love there is. And that's what friendship love is. That's what it looks like. Jesus goes on to say again about friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, if we only had verse 14, and, and this was a sort of teacher about friendship, we might want to find another teacher, right? You see what I mean? Can you, can you think of that as a strategy? Hi, I'd like to be your friend. Oh, oh okay. Uh, and here's how it's going to go. Whatever I command you, you do, and then we'll be friends. <laughs> Right? It doesn't sound good. If Jesus were laying out the conditions for being his friend here, then we would want to stay away from him. That's not what he's doing. He's not telling the, the, the disciples, if you follow these conditions, then I'll consider you a friend. He's giving a definition of what true friendship is. And the only way we can grasp what that definition is, is when we remember what the command he's referring to was. If you do this command, Jesus is saying, if you do this one thing, then you, you will be my friends. What he means to say is, let me define friendship for you. If you are going to be worthy of the name friend, here's what you must do. Okay, if you're gonna be a woman who, who deserves the title friend, here's the one thing that you have to do. It's the commandment that I've just given. If you're gonna be a man who lives the best love as a friend, you have to do this commandment. And what's the commandment? It was there in verse 12. If you go back and you'll see it, it is the command that we should love one another as Jesus has loved us. If you do that, you will be a friend. I want to be as clear as I can on this. If you will love the people around you, the people whose paths you have crossed with, the people who are in, in your sphere of influence, maybe they're at work, maybe they're in a social club that you belong to, maybe they're in your neighborhood, maybe they go to school with you. If you will love them in the way that Jesus has loved you, then you will be a friend. And so that raises the question very simply, well, what is this love that Jesus means? And here, the answer comes when we just zoom in on vocabulary. And I know some of you right now are like, I love vocabulary. Oh, I'm so glad I came to church. <laughs> are there some people who love vocabulary? Like you read the dictionary. All right, good, awesome. If, if no one else loves this, you will. Here, the word in Greek that is translated with our English word love here is a word agape. And that's what it looks like in English. It looks like agape, okay? It's not, it's agape. And this is significant because in its original environment, that word is unique. Uh, the Greeks had uh, a very rich language that was very expressive, and it's just a fact that outside of the New Testament, when a writer or a poet or a playwright or, or someone who's capturing a myth wants to describe love, they never use the word agape. It's never used outside of the New Testament. Instead, it's a different word that is almost always used by the Greeks for love, and it is the word Eros. And Eros, as some of you will know, is the name for the Greek god of love. In, in myths that were written centuries before Jesus was on the scene, uh, people looked at the world around them and they said, the power and the might and the strength of the human heart is so great, there must be a god behind it. And so in some of those myths, 
In, in the very beginning of all creation, uh, there was a God who came and moved the hearts of men and women, and, and his name was Eros. And if that God came near to another God or a human being with his presence or with his arrow, that person would be smitten inside with a kind of passion and a kind of drive and a kind of desire that could make them do almost anything at all. That was Eros love. The word eros in Greek basically means desire. It's drive. It's a movement and a power that makes people do all kinds of things. You know the word erotic. We tend to think of that word just in terms of sexual intimacy. In, in the Greek environment in which Jesus found himself speaking and wanting to teach, uh, eros was the kind of love that could be used for all different kinds of drives and desires, not just physical intimacy, but the kind of drive or desire that you felt for food. Have you ever said that? I love I love the Tony pepperoni. Have you ever said that? <laughs> right? Or I love that experience or that place. That's the kind of love that, that was so prominently described with the word eros. And here, when we come to Jesus' teaching about how we live as friends, we find that there's a new word that he makes up. And in fact, Jesus didn't make it up. It was a new word that the New Testament writers used, and it was the word agape. And it is their self-conscious decision never to use eros because that word isn't used in the New Testament. That reveals their intention to differentiate so as to avoid a very dangerous confusion between what we often mean by love and what the Bible means when it talks about love. Before I go on, there's nothing wrong with eros love. There's nothing wrong with it. It can be a source of joy and pleasure. It can also be the most destructive impulse in the whole universe. You know that, right? But what the New Testament writers wanted to do when they talked about love was to show you something that goes in, the different, in a different direction than eros in at least three very significant ways. And I wanna show you what those are. And I wanna show them to you for this reason. Please listen. When Jesus says that you should love each other like he loved, he's not thinking along the lines of eros. He's thinking of a, of a different kind of uh, a different kind of thing altogether. And that's why the word agape is used there. When someone tells you God loves you, it's not, first of all, in that eros realm that, that we're, we're describing God's affections for you. It's something different. And you must grasp this for this reason. Please understand this, because the most important thing is love. And the, most, and the greatest love, according to Jesus, is the love that you can have with your friends. And that means for some of you to improve on the friendships you have. For others, it means to either let go of old wounds and find new friends, or for some even to say, I'm not gonna wait any longer for someone else to come and be a friend to me. I'm gonna take what I learned today and go and be a friend. So here's the difference between eros and agape. Eros, first and foremost, feels. That's what it does. It is a feeling that happens inside of a person's heart it is a passion that stirs up and that makes you want to go. And, and, and it's, 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 it's you're going, you're walking home, you're a freshman in high school and you walk past the tennis court and there she is. She's a sophomore. She has impossibly dark hair and impossibly blue eyes. And then you go home and you ask your parents to take you out, go shopping to Sears for tennis shorts. <laughs> and then you want to take up tennis. That's, it's that feeling. You, you with me? Yeah. By contrast, agape does. That doesn't mean that agape doesn't feel anything, but before the kind of love that Jesus describes feels something, it actually does something. 
It is a choice to go and do something, whatever you feel. Maybe because you feel it, but maybe even though you don't feel it. Agape is a conscious choice to go and do something which love does, whatever you happen to feel. And in this way, it is, it is precisely the opposite of eros. I promise you, and you'll see this already with your friendships, if you decide every time with your friends to just do whatever you feel, your friendships will not last very long and they will cause a lot of problems for you and trouble. If on the other hand, you say, no, love is something which I do first before I feel it, then your friendships will be different. When Jesus says to the disciples that you must love each other as I've loved you, he's not, first of all, talking about his feelings for them because you know, sometimes he didn't like them very much. It's true, they, they got things wrong and, and they, he didn't have good reason to like them. If you know the Old Testament well, you'll know that there's plenty of times where God has a good reason not to like the people of Israel anymore at all. But the love of God for his people Israel, the love of Jesus for his disciples is first of all something that God did, first of all something that Jesus did. And if you want to understand what it means to love friends, you have to decide first, it's not first of all about my feelings, but about what I do. Okay, here I'm gonna give you permission to let go of some of the feelings of anger, and resentment toward people who were friends and didn't do a good job. You can let that go and ask still, should I be a friend? It's something I do. Here's a second thing, a second direction, if you will, in which eros and agape go in opposite ways. Eros takes and agape gives. Eros is this feeling, this passion that makes you want to go and get something which you desire. You wanna get that tennis player, you hear me? I didn't get her. She didn't like me. I, the shorts that I bought were lame and I was too small and I wasn't good at tennis. But, but eros is this drive to go and get something. And so often we mistake love with this impulse to go and acquire something. And then we find our way into some friendship which is gonna get us what we want. And that's all it is. And if you've ever been the the victim of that kind of friendship, someone who just used you, they just went after you. And the moment you stopped giving them what, what, what they wanted from you, it was over. That's because it wasn't love. That's eros, which again, sometimes you need to take, but that's not the love that Jesus is describing. Instead, agape love gives. It looks at another person and says the exact opposite of eros, which is not what can I get from them, but what can I give to that person? That's a true friend. A true friend is someone who always is on the lookout for not everybody, but a few people near them. And the question in mind is, I can see them now. What can I give them? What's the thing, if that person had it, would make their life better? What would add to their sense of confidence? What would make them feel stronger than the day before? What would make them feel like they mattered more? That's the kind of question which agape loves when it looks at another person because agape wants to give. You see how different it is from eros? Again, remember who's telling the disciples this, that they must love each other like he loved them, agape. It's Jesus. And this is what's so magnificent about Jesus. He's constantly doing this, looking at the people around him and saying, what can I give? His relationship with those disciples, the ones that were there with him, was 100% a matter of his decision to bring them close to him so he could give them what they needed and which they couldn't get themselves. And I'll tell you this, whatever you know about Jesus, take this to heart. Jesus looks at you because he wants to give to you just what you need. 
And, and of course, that doesn't mean everything you ever wanted. There's plenty of things that you want which you don't actually need and would make your life worse if you received them. That's not a good friend either. Jesus is a true friend because he does for us what we, what we need. He gives to us what we require. And, and it's, the depth of this is only plain after Jesus is done teaching. When he dies on the cross, he's giving his life for them. And again, not everybody has the same view of this. I'll tell you what the Bible seems to teach quite plainly is when Jesus died for these friends, he gave them what they, what they absolutely needed. And again, this is the exact opposite of eros. He gave them freedom. And it's the opposite of eros because eros possesses. And agape frees. And that's the most pointed way, I think, in which they're different. The drive and the desire and the passion of eros, which wants to take for itself that which it believes will cause it pleasure, always wants to possess that thing which it finally acquires. Have you heard this phrase? The object of my love, right? The object of my desire. Don't you notice it's object? And it's that word is used of a person very often. It means you turn that person into an, a, a thing for your own pleasure and you can possess it and hold on to it. And that's the impulse of eros. And if we're honest, all of us have that impulse in many different ways in life. And we can very easily have that impulse in relationship to the people who we wanna call friends. You know what I'm saying, right? You find out that your friend spent time with someone and didn't invite you. And what do you feel? the sort of possessive jealousy. Agape comes and says, no, I'm gonna do for you what you need. I'm gonna give to you what you require and I'm gonna do that in order to free you. And, and the truth about loving friends is, listen now, you actually have the power that no one else around you has as a person to free that individual who's in your mind as a friend. I want you to think about your friends now for a moment. The ones maybe... Let, let go of the ones that are, are beyond hope and, and bring to mind the one, that, was that too much? <laughs> I mean the ones that right now God's saying to you, look, I've got a calling for you in relationship to this person. Let them come to mind. And try this. Imagine for a moment, is it possible that they're bound up in a way that I am uniquely positioned to help free them? I promise you are. You know that all of us have chains that we put upon our own hearts right? We look at ourselves in this way in front of the computer screen when the email comes back in the wrong way and we're all the way back there. And it's just like a prison, right? We're trapped, we're stuck. And what we need is freedom. And God's gift to us is that he gives us men and women who can help us be free, who can give us what we need and who can do for us what love does. Look again at all of those in agape now. This is what God has done for all of us in Christ. It's true. Uh, whether we believe it or not even, it is true that God has so loved the world, and that includes all of us, that he sent his only son so that he would die for us in our place and give us the freedom that we need. God has given himself to the world because he loves the world, not eros love, but agape love. And so what that means for every single person who's in this room is that we are completely and totally free to accept and receive that love that God has given to us in Christ just like Jesus wanted all of those friends on that night when he told them, this is my commandment, that you would love each other like I've loved you, we're all free to receive that. And that's all faith is. Faith is a determination in your heart to say, I'm gonna accept it. I'm gonna accept what God has done for me. I'm gonna accept that gift. You can do that even as I continue to talk. If you've never done that, you can do that in your heart. You can say a little prayer. God, I want to accept that love that you've got for me. I want it to become real in me. I, I receive it. You can do that. And then when you do, then you're ready with all of those those folks that Jesus spoke to, to say, all right, I'm gonna choose to love my friends. 
Now to the one or two or maybe more of you in here now who are thinking, but you don't understand how bad people have been to me. And can I tell you that I do understand that. I've lived through disappointment with friends. I have. I've listened to a lot of people live through disappointment with friends. What I want to tell you now is you are free to take your hands off of all of that pain. Let Jesus take it away. And then to, listen now, not to feel bad for yourself that no one's being a friend to you. Because I'm good at that too. Is anyone else in here good at that? It's not gonna help. Instead say, how can I this morning decide I'll be a friend? And then like in a clandestine, unexpected way, go and be a friend to somebody and just watch what happens. Go and love the people around you in the way that Jesus has loved you. Why don't we do this more if we all want it? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah? Why don't we develop friendships more? Why don't we have more experiences that result in sharing laughter together? Or so when it happens, we know exactly who to reach out to. Or so that when we're facing the crossroads, we don't have somebody to talk to. Or when, when we carry weight and heavy grief in our hearts, we always have to hide it in our own heart because we don't want anybody to see. Why don't we have better friendships? You know what I think the number one answer is, the reason we don't have better friendships, is because we don't have enough time. Does anybody else in here feel like that? Yeah, friendships take a lot of time, right? And you got a lot of stuff you got to manage. In the morning, and then throughout the day, and then in the evening, and it just takes a lot of time to be friends. And, and here, if, if it's true that the greatest thing is love and the greatest love is the love that we have for friends, if Jesus said that, and we are going to decide to take him seriously, then I'm gonna say this challenging uh, thing to you. You have to decide, are there some things that I'm giving my time to right now that have to take a second place to the pursuit of friendship in the way that agape loves others. And I bet if you do an honest assessment of your use of time, you will have to admit there's a few things that you could let go of to grasp onto friendship. Does anybody else feel like that? If we're real, if we're honest, we'll see that. There are a lot of things in our lives that suck up an awful lot of time, all right? Let's think about this for a minute. What are some of the things that really take our time away from the kind of face-to-face -face interaction that we need to have for, uh, for excuse me, for friendship. Sorry, hold on a minute. I'll be done in a second. Go out into the world and pay attention to how often these are between people. I mean, on the subway, walking down the sidewalk, in restaurants, at tables where people are having dates. You're all disappearing. The closer it gets to my face, I, I'm not here anymore. I, I don't want to be the grouchy preacher who just, you know, talks bad about the cell phone. But the truth is young people spend as much as six to eight hours a day on these. And this is not my opinion. Simple research reveals that well-being in the heart is inversely proportionate to the amount of time you spend on a device. So that the more time you spend here, the less your heart thrives and I think it's in part because even though these connect us to other people, they actually keep us apart, right? So maybe, you, what if you tried a week without your cell phone? Oh, are you kidding me? No, I'm serious, try that. <laughs> How about this is a second one, okay? This one hits me more, okay? You gotta tell me what I'm doing here, ready? What am I doing? No, it's Netflix, okay? It's a big difference, right? Television, no, no, it's Netflix. 
I'm, I do this, I do this. I'm superior because I don't have real TV. I just have Netflix. That way I'm more in control of what I watch. Yeah, but I watched The Office seasons two, three, and four. <laughs> I know them so well. I could quote everyone. And every time I watch another Office, it's 22 minutes that I'm not spending developing a friendship. It's easier to watch friends than to be friends. Do you know that? And this I'm being sincere. You go ahead and binge watch what everybody's talking about on Netflix and it will be more entertaining and easier than spending time with real people. That's how good technology has become. But it's not better. It's just not. I promise it's not. And even if you exchange it and at first it's awkward and difficult, the long-term benefits of true friendship will be better. Here is the deepest reason why I think we are so um, in need of help with friendship. It's because friendship requires you to be vulnerable and then to trust. And that's scary. That's really scary. But if Jesus tells us it's the best thing, then we have to do it anyway. I'm, I'm telling you, it will be the best thing for us if we do. Someone here is thinking, well, I, I don't, I get the other stuff, but what, what Jesus says, I'm not sure I care that much. Would you please try it and invest in friendship and see if he isn't right, right? So here, how would you do it? I want this to be as practical as possible for one reason. I want all of us to be better friends. Uh, I mean that. I want us to be what Jesus called friends. I want us to be good at it. It'll be good for us. It will be good for the people that we're friends with and for the world. If you grab the little card that I gave you, or that, that was given to you when you came in. On the back, there's a passage there from John, the one where Jesus said, his commandment is that you love one another as, as he has loved you. And then beneath it, there's four words, see, hear, help, enjoy. And these, I want to tell you briefly, are four ways, four steps to take to actually love a friend. All right, I want to take them one at a time. You're going to love a friend first when you see that other person. And this may seem too basic. It's not too basic. True friendship is when two people look one another in the eyes and they both let the other person see what's there. And I'll tell you that true friendship is just as rare as it is for you to actually look at another human being in the eye and to let them look at you in the eye. When was the last time you did that? I sometimes get to the end of the day and I realize I was around 30 people today. I never looked one of them directly in the eye and no one actually looked me in the eye. And it is not a small thing that human beings relate first and foremost face to face. And, and by the way, by the way, listen to this. You don't actually need vision, true vision, to see another person. And all the vision in the world can prevent you from seeing them because we are really good at wearing masks, aren't we? And so true friendship is the decision that one person and then the other makes to actually look at one another and to take the masks off and, and to choose to not try to make that person into someone who they are not, but instead to let them be just who they are and that only happens when you decide to be who you really are with them. As long as one of you is making believe, neither one of you will really connect, but love like Jesus had for the disciples, which sees the other, is love which lets the other person be just who they are without having to pretend that there's someone else for your approval or your acceptance, for, for, for them to just be the true beauty and mess that they are and for you to be the true beauty and mess that you are. To take down the mess, that is step number one uh, on how to love a friend. 
Am I right that it doesn't happen an awful lot? But doesn't your heart ache for it? To actually be known by another person? Here, the second step that you can take to love a friend is with this person who you've seen is you choose to hear them. And you let them hear you. Here's what I mean. Looks, even when we try, looks can be deceiving, right? And so what you must add to the visual uh, uh, that, that they receive when they look at you is your own verbal interpretation of who you are on the inside. And that means talking. That means putting into words what you are thinking for that other person to hear. Putting into words what you're feeling. Telling them, this is what I hope for. Letting them know, here are some of the things that I'm ashamed of that nobody else knows. Here's something that I'm carrying inside that I've been so good at hiding that nobody can tell and I'm actually saying it to you. And to be a friend means to hear that other person say what no one else knows that they're gonna let out. And listen, the only way to do that authentically is to also speak your heart to that person. Not to expect them to share, but then to withhold, but to say, I'm gonna also say what I'm afraid of, what I'm feeling and what I'm hoping for, who I am as a person. If you will see and hear mutually like this, you will be on the road to loving the friends around you. You might be thinking in this moment, yeah, but I have a friend who never opens up. So can I tell you what to do? I'm serious. Sit down with them and say, I want to open my heart to you more than I ever have. Would you please do that with me too? And then start letting it out. If they won't reciprocate, then cancel your friendship with them. Like that's it. (laughs) No, they will. Don't you know this? That the depth that a friendship takes often depends on one person's courageous act to say, I'm going to drop the charade and I'm actually going to make it real. If it's been a a long time since you've done it with someone, do it. Find a friend and do that with them. Now, if you do this, if you see, and if they start to open up and you hear, you are going to have to do this third thing, but this is a privilege and a joy to do it. You're gonna have to help. No one can make it through life alone. No one. Everyone needs help. And the truth is, it's hard to admit that and it's hard to accept it. It's hard sometimes to give it. I think it's actually easier often for us to give it than it is for us to receive it. But as long as we're hiding what's really going on by never looking at anyone and we're keeping it all buried by never speaking of it, then we never get the help we need. So if we would see and hear, then the people that we share with would be able to help us and then they'd be able to be friends. And my goodness, there's no simpler word for what agape love is, the love that God has for us in Christ than help. He came to help us in every way that we need to be helped. And we never, we never live that. We never feel it until we can tell the people near us that we need help and then they can help us. And when that happens, then we receive God's love through their help. Do you see how simple it is? If we will see and hear and help in a way that, is, in a way that Jesus wants us to, we'll do all three of those uh, with joy. We'll enjoy our friends. This is, to me, one of the, the simplest and the best parts of what it is to be friends to laugh with someone who knows me, to, to take it easy together. Even though life has all of its challenges, to be able to have this social environment where I can set that aside for a little bit and play some pool and take a drive too late to get Burger King, even though I should never do that, to, to, to pursue some meaningless hobby, uh, to, to laugh together about the TV shows that we watch. The gift of friendship is meant to be joy, And so the invitation from Jesus is to love like he loves, which is to see, hear, help, and to enjoy. And let me tell you this. This may be surprising to you, but those four things there, 
they're actually descriptive of God's disposition toward you in Jesus. And trust me here, in Christ, God sees you. And, and he's ready for you to allow yourself to be seen. And you can do this in prayer in your heart. Say, God, here's who I am. In Christ, God hears you every word. There is not even a whisper in your heart that's unknown to him. You cry out to him. Uh, in Christ, he's ready to help you. And, and believe it or not, in Christ, in faith, when you embrace the gift that he's given you, and then, please listen to this, when you find your way to making friends, then God in Christ also takes pleasure in your joy. He enjoys us in our friendships. What do you say? Can we work at being friends? Yes, this is the, the gracious invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ to love one another as he, he's loved us and in that way to be friends. And let's thank God for that and ask for his help. Would you do that with me? Yeah. God, we thank you that of all things, you would have created us in such a way that we need friends. God, for those of us who have friends, we thank you for those friends and we ask you to help us love them better in this agape way. For those of us who have broken friendships behind us and our hearts hurt because of it, we pray that you'd either help us restore those friendships or take our hands off them and, and, and in that way receive the new friendships that you have for us. God, for those of us who don't have friends, would you help us accept where we are and take the steps we still can take to see if we can cultivate the gifts that we need so desperately to have the life that you want for us, the love that you mean for us to have. Help us be friends. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.